When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Brandon Harvey here. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to the sponsor of this week's episode, Lasting. Lasting is the nation's number one relationship counseling app. They've distilled decades of research into accessible five-minute sessions designed to give you the right tools for building a healthy marriage. Lasting is backed by the leading wedding resource, The Knot, and has been featured by ABC News, The Today Show, Good Morning America, and Bustle. Download Lasting in the App Store or Google Play Store today and give it a spin. It's free to download and get started with their Marriage Health Intro Series. Just visit getlasting.com slash good to get the nation's number one relationship counseling app and to help support this podcast. One more time, that's getlasting.com slash good to download Lasting for free. Lasting, marriage counseling made simple. All right, now here comes the show. How often do you think about death? Kate Manser, our guest today on the show, intentionally tries to think about death every single day. At the age of 27, Kate was working at Google when she had a number of people close to her die young and unexpectedly. It sent her into this tailspin of fear and anxiety, thinking about her own death and frankly just feeling deeply afraid of that. That was until she slowly pivoted towards seeing these tragedies and her new awareness of her own impending death as an opportunity to live as fully as her loved ones once had. She's since turned this realization into a movement called You Might Die Tomorrow that reminds people that we're not promised tomorrow, and so we need to live fully today. You might have seen her installation at Burning Man or maybe photos of it, or you've maybe even seen stickers that her community puts up all over the world that simply state, you might die tomorrow. I'm so excited to be diving into this conversation with Kate, because this is something that I uh, I don't think about as much as I should, and I kind of talk about that in the episode. I am Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good. This is the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. This isn't your typical three steps to success podcast. We don't host this podcast for the sake of leaving you with bullet points on self-improvement. We just believe that our lives are more complex than that. And so what we do is we show up here on Sounds Good to ask big questions, dive into nuance, and learn from each other's stories. And so without any further ado, let's jump straight into Kate and I's conversation. I was talking to a friend uh, this weekend and she was like, oh, hey, like, do you have any episodes that you're recording coming up soon? And I was like, yeah, I'm recording with Kate Manser. She started uh, this movement called You Might Die Someday. And I like slipped up and said, you might die someday as if like, uh, (laughs) as if 
some people are going to die. Some people aren't. But the reality is uh, what you do, you know, this thing that you've created, you might die tomorrow is, uh, is the antithesis of this word slip up I had in that we're all going to die someday and it could be tomorrow, uh, but it's not up in the air. Yeah. But I just thought that that was funny because I think that if I err one direction or the other, I'm probably somebody who doesn't think about death enough. Oh. And, and there's people on the other end and it sounds like you kind of fall into this camp where you think too much about death and you let it kind of control you in that way as well. But I'm somebody who I probably don't think about it nearly enough. Oh, I've been in all three camps. The don't think about it, the overthink it, and now the, hey, that's the badass thing that I'm going to integrate into my life camp. Um, so I've been in all three and yeah, kind of a Freudian slip, like, oh, you might die someday. Like, I don't really actually want to think about that. I'm dreading yeah. this podcast. Interview. <laughs> it's so, so funny. I feel like we should just maybe dive into kind of the story because what I love is that the thing that you've created has such a blunt title that like, you can't really talk around it. Like it's, it, in fact, I would imagine, tell me if this is true, that like, having such a blunt title, you might die tomorrow, is off-putting for people. And I would imagine it's like a difficult thing to like tell people that you do that sometimes. Yeah, it's been a whole evolution of, well, first my like acceptance of it and my ability to just talk about it without fear. There was definitely a time when I first started where it impacted my life so positively that I wanted to shout it from the rooftops. But when push came to shove, I was like, oh, that is pretty provocative. It's pretty blunt. I don't want to put anyone out. And it's been this whole evolution of now I'm like, no, I'm back shouting it on the rooftops. Uh, because what I've seen is that even the people who reject it at face value, most of them I've seen come back to me and they're like, you know, actually I thought about that or I had this experience in my life and I realized that I can't, I can't reject that. I can't pre pretend like it doesn't exist. And I had this experience when I first started where especially people who, who are, are actually facing death. So like people with terminal illness or people who work in the medical industry who are faced with death every day or people who, um, like the elderly, I was like, oh no, I definitely can't talk about you might be tomorrow to them. But what happened over time was that I found out that they are like the OG fans of you might die tomorrow. They're the ones that embrace <laughs> it the most because unlike the rest of us, they have to look death in the face and they're like, hell yeah, I might die tomorrow. I, um, I can't deny that. And so I want to live today. And so now I'm like, okay, well, if I can talk about it and have someone with terminal illness, like really like embrace that, um, there's no one I shouldn't be mentioning this to. Would it be correct to say that for most of your life, you did not think about death? Like this is more like a, like a more recent focus of yours than a lifelong passion or pursuit. Absolutely. Yeah. Just in the past three years I had, well, actually in, in four years. So like the first part of my life was just like not really thinking about death. And then I um, went through having some young people very close to me die tragically. And that sent me into this tailspin of death anxiety. And that was like a year of just like constantly living in fear of like, oh my God, I could die in this intersection. I could die in this plane and just like Having, being overcome with it and letting it really cloud the beauty of life. And then um, I had one, one more tragic death occur in my life. And for some reason with, with that one, it just radically changed my 
my perspective. And I'd be happy to tell the story of. Yeah, let's bring it back because you were, I believe, 27 working at Google when you experienced your first kind of tragedy of somebody close to you dying. Yeah. My boss at Google, he uh, died unexpectedly. He like went away for vacation and was super stoked about his vacation. And then we found out on Saturday uh, when he was gone that he had died in a cliff diving accident because he was kayaking. And that was the first death. I, it was like receiving that call that nobody ever wants to receive, that unexpected call where you you learn that someone that you see every day and someone that you care about is um, is not going to be coming into work today, work again, and is dead. And that was the first one. And then it was just like in rapid succession, there was two more. My um, husband at the time, his cousin at 37, died of cancer. And then my um, my college friend Mallory at 27, she died. Actually, she was crossing the road and a drunk driver came and hit her. So 27 years old, 36 years old and 27 years old, all in the span of about one year. And man, it affected me very, very intensely. Like I said, I was just I was just so terrified of death. I was so afraid of getting that call that my mom had died or getting the call that anyone in my life had died or had you know, myself get hit in an intersection, like I was saying. And it got to the point where I couldn't even sleep. Like I would just lay down to go to sleep and my mind would just go like that hamster wheel of, oh, this could happen or this could happen. And then, man, I really, I just don't want to die. What if it happens? And um, it was just like not, not a positive place to be at all. And so I went from like not thinking about death at all to thinking about it constantly in a really unhealthy, like anxious way. And then um, a few months later, uh, after I had been going through this like year of like tragic death happening and dealing with death anxiety, I learned that my other friend and coworker, Dan Friedenberg, he was climbing Mount Everest and I was watching his journey on Instagram as he was climbing up. Um, I mean, he wasn't like getting to base camp. He was actually going to be summiting Everest, wow. wielding an ice pick. And um, the day that the Nepal earthquake hit, I was like, oh, no. And so I sat down and I looked up his Instagram and the news was there. His sister said that he was um, killed in an avalanche caused by the earthquake that day. And at first I was so angry because, um, you know, climbing Mount Everest is is elective, right? Like you don't have to do it. You're not just like doing an average thing, like driving to work or whatever. Climbing Everest is something that you choose to do. And I was like, man, you chose to do this thing and you knew that you could die and you did. And now you've robbed the world with this vibrant, amazing, adventurous person who I really looked up to. And my first reaction was that anger. But then after I thought about it a little bit more, I realized that Climbing Mount Everest is not something that you just like do on an average Saturday. Like it takes mindful thought. It takes a ton of physical training. It costs a lot of money. And this is something that I realized that he decided that he had to do. This was part of his like soul's journey. And I realized that it was like a die, die situation. He either dies on the ground because he's not living an authentic life or he would die um, climbing, living the life that he always dreamed of. And that was when I realized that like living in a live life takes agency, uh, whereas so many of us live life on autopilot. And I'm spending so much energy like wondering if I'm going to die in that intersection when like I could <coughs> die climbing the stairs. Like I have absolutely no control over it. And so all of that anxiety at that point was 
evaporated and replaced with like intense zeal to live. I love this idea of this being like a a die die situation. Or I mean, the reality is I probably don't love that idea, but it's an interesting paradox that you know we either are going to die in the way that we live our lives and and not live our lives fully, or we we could actually literally die. But it's better to take that. I mean, it sounds like you're saying it's better to take that risk because otherwise you're not really living anyway. Yeah. What I realized is that so what is so important and what offers such clarity in life is this idea of mortality awareness. And if you can plot your life back from this idea of a good death, right? So if you imagine like, oh, what what do I want? How do I want to die? Like, how do I want to feel when I die? Like, for me, there's a few things that I want. Number one, like, I want to be content about how I lived my life. I definitely want to die free from regret or have as little regret about how I lived my life as possible. And I also want like everyone to come to my funeral and cry and be like, she was so amazing. We're so sad she's gone. (laughs) And so if I think about like that end point of how I want things to be when I die, I have full control over how... Uh, whether or not that comes true. So if I want to die life free of regret and content with my life choices, I need to live life in alignment with my soul now. And if I want the place where I have my funeral to be like chock full and everyone be really mourning my death, I need to live a life that helps people and is kind to others and is a beacon of light to other people. And so in that die-die situation, like I don't want to live my life on autopilot and then, you know, pass away at some point in the future. I would rather live life um, vibrantly and with calculated risk uh, so that I can create that scene of death that I want um, when my time does come, whenever that is. So if you're thinking about your deathbed and you're kind of processing through how you want to look back on your life, do you feel that there's largely kind of a universally accepted answer for what people imagine that to be when they're, you know, when they're looking back on their lives? Or is it, is it really different for everybody? I guess I'm curious because you probably talk to a lot of people about this. I think that there's like two aspects to the deathbed. I do a deathbed meditation where I help people through a, through a guided meditation, like visualize themselves on their deathbed and then look back over their life. And um, there's two aspects. One is like the physical place of like, if you're imagining your deathbed, uh, where might that be? And for that is different for everyone. I've had people say that their deathbed is like in their grandmother's house, cozy in bed. Other people is like enshrouded in white on the beach. I even had one person say that their visualization of their deathbed was like actually a place that they had gone to in a, um, a psychedelic plant medicine trip that they thought they'd never be- have the opportunity to visit again. So it's wherever that place of comfort is to you. And then there's the mental space of your deathbed. Like that's what I was saying as far as like, oh, I want to be content with my life choices. I want to die free of regret. And I want people to um, to love me and miss me when I'm gone. I think that's pretty common. I think a lot of people have heard the top five regrets of the dying um, written by the hospice worker that went viral many years ago. And um, those are what she heard over t- over 20 years of work as a hospice worker. And she was able to pull like those five themes to the top as those are the core themes that everyone feels when they're facing death. 
I actually just pulled these up uh, online really quick. And so I just want to go through these. These are the top five regrets of the dying by Brony Ware. And uh, number one is, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Number two is, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And number five, I wish that I had let myself be happier. Mm, Yeah. So simple, right? (laughs) Yeah. Every single one of them, I go, oh, I I feel that. Like, I, I know that to be true now. And I have no doubt that I will know that to be true, you know, as I'm dying one day. Yeah. And I think there, it like, it has to be said that the fear of death is, is universal. And I don't actually believe that the, that, that I've like, you know, I've superseded the fear of death and I'm not afraid of it anymore. Like I have a project called you might die tomorrow and I'm absolutely still afraid of death. I actually don't believe that it's humanly possible to completely supersede that fear. Uh, but what I've learned is that that fear can actually be challenged into an inspiration to act. And so I am actually afraid that when I die, I will have some or all of those five regrets. Um, but instead of doing what I used to do, which was like go down that path of anxiety of worrying about controlling the future, um, I use that fear of death and that fear of having a deathbed regret um, as the inspiration to make my life an expression of the antithesis of that today. So for me, the fear of death is an inspiration to live alive today, as opposed to what it used to be, which was definitely a source of anxiety. If we take it back to this moment where uh, your friend dies on Everest and you have a shift in the way that you think about this death compared to the other, these other tragedies you'd experienced how did your life change in that moment and in the you know weeks or months or years since you know how instantaneous was it that you kind of started to process this in a different way than these other tragedies well the first thing that happened when i realized the power of remembering that you might die tomorrow and mortality awareness was like I just like became on fire with this idea. It was the first time I had ever realized that death could be a positive influence in my life as opposed to a a very negative one. And so the first thing I did, I was like, oh my gosh, I must be the first person to ever think of this. Why isn't everyone (laughs) talking about this incredible life hack? And then I started Googling and like literally every philosopher, every musician, like your elderly neighbor down the street, everybody has thought about this. Um, It's just not, not as many people are talking about it and it hasn't pervaded like our greater social consciousness yet. And so my first thought was like, I I want this to be part of the social consciousness. I want other people to be on fire with life like I am right now because I'm just a regular person. And then the second thing that happened was I really, I felt an urgency to to live. And just after I had this realization and after Dan died, um, I actually uh, got the opportunity. My best friend, she lives on a boat down in French Polynesia for the past couple of years. And she had been begging me. She's like, come visit. Like, it's totally free. Once you get here, just like come enjoy, live on the boat for a couple of weeks. And I gave myself a million excuses at the time. I was like, Mm. oh, I don't have enough money. I, you know, I don't want to be a bother. I don't even know if I like boats and sailing, but after Dan died, I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to go. So I went down there 
And it was the first time in my life I had this light bulb go off as soon as I went down there and I saw her living on her boat and I saw tons of people that had left their regular lives to go like live on an island and live a life that was more in alignment with their values. This light bulb went off and I was like, oh my God, I can do whatever I want with my life. I could live on a boat if I wanted. I could like move to Japan. I could become a shoemaker if that was like what my calling was. And it was the first time in my life I had like this light shined on the blueprint that I had been following and the realization that I can wake up and make actual like mindful choices in my life. So those two realizations together that life is so fragile and I could die tomorrow and that death offers a perspective on life like nothing else. And then that second realization that, oh, I can do whatever I want with my life. Those two together caused me to, at the time, leave the job at Google that I loved, but I knew um, that there was something else, some other experience more out there for me to start the You Might Die Tomorrow project, to start writing my book, and to begin spreading the message all around the world. Have you encountered other people who have had this same realization or these same you know, moments of tragedy where in response they realized that, you know, they did want to live more fully today because they could die tomorrow. What have been their kind of responses? How have they taken leaps into this? And have they also taken on this almost ambassador role of this idea? Or do you feel like that part is unique to you? It's definitely not unique to me. There are a lot of people, especially in the past, like, five years, uh, it is growing in terms of people who like the death doula movement, for example, um, people that are becoming death doulas and, and other people who are just on this, um, this level of understanding about the power of mortality. But in terms of like groups who have, uh, realized that power of mortality, I think it kind of falls into two groups. And the first group consists of like pretty much everyone on earth, uh, which is that Everyone who has experienced some death in their life, whether their own near-death experience or more likely the death of a loved one, um, I feel like most people after a death happens, we go through this period of like embracing life. And what I've been able to like take over a long period, I think most people experience that after where they're like, oh my gosh, hug your loved ones. Life is so fragile. But for some reason, uh, for a lot of people that fades. And so that's the first group is someone who's experienced that like realization of the fragility of life uh, for a short period. And then the second group is people like me who have realized that and been really deeply inspired by that and have made the choice to incorporate that into everyday life. And it's not easy, right? Like I just wrote a blog post the other day about, you know, having a spiritual awakening and what happens after. Um, and it's like a lot of work. So <laughs> just because you have a spiritual awakening or some kind type of realization in your life, you still have to do the work to like force yourself to be happy sometimes when things get hard. I mean, this is a podcast about, and your whole project is beautiful. It's about optimism, but sometimes optimism isn't something that comes naturally. It takes work. And so of those people who have had the realization with near-death experience and then people who have um, let that fade, yeah, I'm definitely not unique. And I believe that everyone has the power to experience the vibrancy and perspective offered by death. So what do you do kind of on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis to help you stay in touch with 
this idea to keep you living like you could die tomorrow? Yeah. One of the things that I do is like, I am definitely a person who gets trapped in decision paralysis a lot. It's like, you know, for, for you have this one decision and you spend 40 times longer than you should just like going through every avenue and trying to figure out what's the best one. But what I found is that I do this thing I call the deathbed gut check um, to help me make my decisions in life. So because in death, all of the junk falls away, all the stuff that doesn't matter, all the stuff that we tell ourselves matters, but but really doesn't, it really all falls away. And what we're left with is like the meat of what's important and what's true. Um, and so I have developed this like little strategy that I use to um, help me use that in my present life. So if I'm it's faced- probably helpful for a lot of situations. Oh my gosh, so much. Like literally what kind of yogurt do you want to buy? You can be <laughs> like, okay, how would I feel about this now? <laughs> but what I do is like, if I have a decision to make, I will think about that decision and then I'll close my eyes and imagine myself on my deathbed looking back on the present moment. And I imagine how I would feel on my deathbed if I went with option A and then I observe how I feel in my gut. Like, do I feel light and good or do I feel kind of a pit in there? Um, and then I observe the same thing for option B. And it's actually remarkable the clarity that we get when we frame decisions in how we will feel about them in our death and how um, there's like a visceral reaction that we have to that. So that that whole thing takes like five seconds and I observe how I feel um, from my deathbed and it's helped me make so many decisions and get myself out of that decision paralysis that I'm so prone to that um, it's something I incorporate into pretty close to my daily life. Something I was kind of processing as you were speaking is I feel like if somebody were to take this the wrong way or if they were to not process it as fully and deeply, uh, when they're making decisions, they could often choose to make the selfish decision, something that serves themselves and not others. And maybe not so much with like close loved ones, but maybe with strangers and others, you know, because when you're on your deathbed, you're probably not imagining, you know, the random stranger at the grocery store or, you know, on the customer service line or whatever. How do you combat that and allow this to, this, this, processing in this kind of awareness of death to empower you or, or support you in making the world a better place or in, you know, spreading love instead of just, you know, focusing on what's going to benefit you and your core people the most, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes me think about things. And the first one is that I believe that in death, the truth comes out that again, all of that ancillary stuff in our lives comes out and our true humanity comes out. And so if you're making a decision in light of your deathbed and you are at your core, a selfish person, then that's what's true. And, and that what is what will manifest in your decision. Um, but if you are a person who is, um, someone who cares for others and wants to help others deeply in your humanity and you're filled with love, then that will also come out in your decision. And I believe that most people, the very, very, very most people are that have that core of love. And so I think that's, that's really where it comes out. I don't, I don't know that we have a ton of control over it. And that also makes me think of a uh, psychological concept called 
terror management theory, which is uh, was developed by Ernest Becker back in the 70s. And his hypothesis is that everything that humans do in our lives, everything, all the decisions that we make, great and small, they're all come from the fear of death, uh, which is really interesting and kind of like blows your mind to think about. And I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but there were a group of psychologists um, after he uh, passed on that continued on his work and they did some terror management study, psychological studies. And one of them was um, they took basketball players uh, and they wanted to expose one group to the idea of death and then the control group to just, you know, have them not exposed to the idea of death. So they, they divide them up into two groups. And they gave them each a pep talk and then had them do a free throw challenge. And the control group, they were basically just given a normal pep talk. Like, hey, this is this is an important game. You should do really well. And then the test group, they were given a pep talk that was more about mortality. Like, hey, this is really important. Your life depends on it. This is about building your legacy. This is going to live on forever. And the test group performed, um, I believe it was 20 to 40% better than the control group. And then they repeated that study without the pep talk this time, but they just had the refs wearing different shirts. So the control group, the ref was wearing a striped shirt. The test group, the ref was wearing a shirt with a skull on it because they wanted to be like, okay, like how subtle can we get with these mortality references to where it impacts performance? And it was the same scenario, a subtle reference, like just seeing a skull on a shirt. Again, the test group performed um, like markedly better than the control group. So that's like the positive side of terror management theory of like, oh, thinking about my death makes my life better. It makes me want to create my legacy. It makes me have like a bigger meaning to want to do well in life. And that's really the side that I focus on. There is a side that is um, not as good, right? So a lot of humans have tendencies toward like ethnocentrism and closed-mindedness and really wanting to have like sort of a keep what we know close to each other. And so another study that they did was they exposed um, judges to, you know, test and control again, the control group, they were assigning uh, sentences to uh, prostitutes. And then they had the test group where before the sentencing, they read a letter about mortality and they actually handed out sentences to prostitutes that were significantly higher than the control group. And so sort of the dark side of mortality awareness and terror management is that if you have fears and anxieties about about groups other than your own, um, it can tend you towards uh, towards that tribalism and um, trying to preserve your own ego. Um, but again, I believe that most people are good and most people have a um, desire to like do good in the world. Um, and if it helps me uh, perform better in a free throw contest, <laughs> I'm all for it. That is so fascinating. Another thing that I was kind of processing is uh, I actually found this quote that you shared online uh, where you said, I believe fiercely that life isn't meant to be lived in avoidance of pain. One must endure the bitter to have the privilege of savoring the sweet and to make it taste that much sweeter. And this is such a wonderful concept. And this is something that we talk about a lot on the podcast uh, because I think it's been my own personal growth journey in realizing that you can't just have joy and and happiness devoid of of pain and suffering, mm-hmm. and that and then maybe you know to some degree you kind of can, but that joy isn't as sweet. You know, it's not as full, and you know it's 
joy and sorrow are two sides of the same coin. And I, I find it so interesting that you have come to find that to be true in this world of, of understanding death as well. Oh my goodness. Yes. I mean, I, based on what you just said, it sounds like you kind of share the same view, which is that if you look back over your life, the biggest periods of personal growth are almost always in times of struggle and challenge and difficulty, right? Totally. 100%. Yeah. And so in order to live a full life and in order to realize the good in life, um, we're going to mess up, right? (laughs) That's the other perspective that I love that death gives me, which is like, I'm totally going to mess up a lot. And some people are probably going to think I'm really stupid and some people won't like agree with me, but really like there's very little of that that matters. Like I'm not going to think about whether like Joe Schmo like thought that, you know, what I did wasn't, wasn't good. Um, and so it's that perspective that death offers. And in terms of like enjoying, uh, the, the tough stuff in life again, like contrast is beautiful. Just like you said, it's two sides of the same coin. And so oftentimes when I'm like praying to God or the universe, I actually ask for, for challenge. And sometimes when I write birthday cards to people, I'm like, Hey, I hope that you have like a little bump in the road year uh, so that you can really appreciate all the beauty that you have in your life. And um, I'm like, I crave perspectives so much um, because otherwise I feel like we're in autopilot. And so death offers perspective, challenge offers perspective, and I'll take it wherever I get it. I always say that perspective is a hell of a drug and it's my favorite one. <laughs> that is beautiful. And I, I love that idea so much uh, of, of kind of intentionally leaning into uh you know, some adversity for the sake of, of not just for the sake of that adversity, but for the sake of the growth that we get to see beyond it. And I would even dare to say one level further, uh, that when we experience hardships or difficulties, uh, when we come out on the other side, that gives us a greater opportunity to help support others who are going through those moments. And it can become this cycle of helping people navigate these things in a healthy way and then take, you know, another step towards, towards wholeness and health. And then they get to do that for other people and it it continues the cycle. Yeah. It's sort of like the parallel of the lesson that death gives you. So it's like, what I learned was that I was so worried about, you know, when I was going to die, how, like what was going to happen. And I let that anxiety took over my life. And then I had the epiphany that like, oh, I have no control over this. I have no control over it. But what I do have control over is living life vibrantly and, um, fully until that time comes. And it's the same thing with challenge. Like we can spend all of our time worrying when the challenge will come, what it will be, whether we'll make it through. Uh, But I would rather spend my energy enjoying life and accepting that just like death, challenge will come. It's going to happen. This is what life is. Uh, But having a sense of confidence of like, hey, I'll like walk that bridge when I get to it. And until then, I'm going to have a blast and enjoy my life. That's, That's the road that I'd rather take. I'm loving this conversation. I'm loving this idea. I'm I'm also mildly hating this idea, but I think that that's important that I'm uh, a little bit hating it. Exposure therapy. Honestly, honestly. <laughs> kind of as we wrap up, I, I just want to ask, you know, going into this week, what what can I do to be more intentional about processing, you know, this idea that I, I could die any day? How can I process this? How can... I lean into this and how can I use this to make a better difference in the world? Not just for me, but for 
you know, all the listeners listening to the show. Yeah. So I think in terms of processing it and, and accepting it, it's just like thinking logically about it. It's like, okay, death is going to happen like that. I can't get away from. And actually I don't have control over when or how. And so by taking that like subjective, or, I'm sorry, objective stance on it and just like processing the facts, I think that's kind of the first step. It's like, okay, Hey, this is going to happen. I don't have control over it. How do I choose to react and make a mindful choice of how you choose to react? Like, do you want to react with anxiety? Do you want to react with intentionality? Just make the decision that's right for you. And then I think the best thing that you can do to integrate it into your life is just to appreciate life. Like for me, remembering that I might die tomorrow makes today so valuable and so sweet. And um, the best way to spread the message is to create your ripple effect by doing what you're already doing. Brandon, you're already putting good out in the world and just an expression of joy. And you will have no idea how far and wide your impact will go. And so I think in closing, my closing message is to just enjoy your life. We have no idea why we're here exactly. um, And we don't have control over our deaths. So until that time comes, just have fun every single day. I loved this opportunity to dive into, you know, discussing something that I very seldom even think about. And I'm glad that we got to have this opportunity. If you want to connect with Kate Manser, you should absolutely check out her site. It's youmightdietomorrow.com. It has more of her story, has a shop where you can get stickers and merch, and there's the opportunity to book a guided deathbed meditation. You can also follow along with You Might Die Tomorrow on Facebook. If you're new to Sounds Good, we would love for you to stick around. You'd also love my conversations with Ashley Lemieux and Kelly Haddock, both of which revolve around holding joy and sorrow in the same hand. You can find both of these episodes and more than 100 other episodes by searching for Sounds Good wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you hit subscribe to keep on getting more inspiring conversations with incredible people delivered to your phone while you sleep. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good Good Good, a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio edit and mix the show. You can get lots more hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at Good 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 CO. We also create a beautiful quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are changing the world for the better. You can order it today. You can subscribe. You can get some for friends. You can do whatever you want. And you can check that out and see what else we do at goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and remember that you might die tomorrow. Go out and live your life fully. And we'll be back next week with another inspiring story from an incredible person. Sound good? Sound good.